Hi everyone, Jen DeWall here. And on today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sit down with author, speaker, and founder and president of Launch Street, Tamara Gandor. Tamara shares her insight as an innovation expert on the four traps of certainty that leaders and organizations fall into that jeopardize innovation efforts. I found a lot of value in tomorrow's episode, and I hope that you do too. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. It's Jen Wall, and today I am so excited to introduce you to innovation thought leader, the creator of the IQE assessment, and the president and founder of Launch Street, Tamara Gondor. Tamara, thank you so much for joining us today. I so it's so great to have you. It's I'm look. I just I love everything about you, and I'm just was so excited for our interview. Well, thank you for having me, and we have so much to talk about. I just don't know where to start because it's going to be so good. I know. Well, first <laughs> we have to talk. We have to go to the basics. Yes. Because I have gotten to know a lot about you and what you do, but could you just tell us a little bit about what you do, what Launch Street is, yeah. and how you play in the innovation space for those that may not have heard of you yet. Yeah, I love how you said that play in the innovation space too. So my company, Launchery, what we do is we help individuals and teams gain the competitive advantage through the power of innovation. And what we really do is the human side of innovation. We we like to think of it as we unlock the I in innovation. So you can think about innovation in the sense of what's the process you use or what's the culture we want to create. But all of that is really built on the foundation of how do your individuals, how do your teams How do they innovate as humans? How do we bring that to the forefront? Because the reality is we can invest in all the processes and tools and flavor of the month technology we want, but if our people aren't being innovative, none of that actually works anyway. So companies that work with us really come to us because they say, hey, we know people are our best asset. So we want to get them to be more innovative, both as individuals and then as high-performing teams so that we can build the culture we're looking for. So that's, that's ultimately what we do. And I have to say, Jen, it is... It's so rewarding because we get to see transformations, not just at the company and bottom line level, that's super exciting, but where it starts, which is at the people inside the organization. Well, and I think what's so inspiring about what you do is you give people, the everyday person that may not be, or even think of themselves as innovative, you give them the, the opportunity to identify as someone that is an innovator. And I think knowing the importance of innovation, it's so important that we give people that power. And I love that you you take it down to that human level or you have the eye level because it is so essential and everyone should be innovating. Well, and I think, you know, we could go on and on about why innovation is so important if we want to. I mean, we, a lot of us know that the times are changing. The competitive landscape is fiercer than ever before. The rate of change is faster than ever. The pressures are bigger. Like all that is true. But at the end of the day, to, to win in this marketplace, the company has to be innovative across all the departments, right? All the people. And that means not just the cool people, but it means all of us. And I love the way you said that we call them everyday innovators because that's what we all are. We're all innovators in some way. And I think for a lot of us, we just trained ourselves out of it over time. In fact, so there was a super cool study um, that I found that uh, it's so fascinating. So in schools with teachers, they asked them to rank what are the most important skills for your students. And of course, creativity was at the top. Then they asked them to rank their students on which ones were the most creative. Then they asked them to rank how much they liked those students. And sure enough, the the kids that were ranked highest in creativity were ranked lowest in terms of teachers liking them. And don't get me wrong, this is not about teachers being bad. They have 30 kids, 35 kids in the classroom. They're just trying to like manage to the test these days. That's a system issue, which we can talk about another time. But what was fascinating to me is it's because when you're being innovative as a kid, you're being disruptive. You're not following the rules. You are thinking differently. You require different learning styles. So at a very early age, most of us are taught to fit within that little box and to not be innovative. There's consequences for being innovative, yet it's our greatest competitive advantage. So over years, and I hear it all the time, people go, oh, Tamara, you know, Jen's innovative, you know, with her cool outfits and stuff, but not me. Like, I'm not the innovative one. I'm just in engineering and I just do my job. But it's because we've been trained over time to think that. But it's actually, all our research has actually shown that that's not true at all. We all have it. And it's our greatest competitive advantage, not just for performing at our peak. So that's one part of it, but also for having a stronger voice in the world. Because when we innovate, that's how we actually contribute. Right. I mean, what a powerful way to look at it. I actually have never really gone back and thought about 
childhood and yeah. how that really had an it impact. Starts early. And, right. It does. I, yeah. you know, I never thought about how early you're, whether you're going to be innovative starts and even coming down to liking those creative kids or disliking them yeah. because they are the ones that maybe are thinking a little differently and yeah. are seeing things in a way that maybe you could try something differently and how we don't always like change or someone that's going to go against the grain, but dang. So we kill innovation <laughs> young. Fast. <laughs> and we do it in schools. And again, it's not the teacher's fault. It's right, actually the right. system fault. We do it in universities and then we do it work because we're always looking for the right answer. We're looking for the thing that'll please the boss. Leadership accidentally, we can dig more into this, looks for one way of doing things, which is usually their way because that's what they know. So we do all these things to actually sabotage our innovation efforts and not get it out of all the people. And here's the thing that kind of blows my mind. So, you know, oftentimes I'll go into companies and they'll have a team of innovators, right? If, I know you can't see me on a podcast, but I have my air quotes out, which we go <laughs> serious when I have my air quotes out, right? But like the special people who are designated to innovate. And the challenge with that, that I find is, so you've got 500, 5,000, 500,000, whatever in your organization, and you're only asking six people to innovate, like why wouldn't you tap the 5,000, 10,000, whatever that you have access to who are doing the work every single day? And I'll, I'll just share with you very quickly, after a workshop that I did with this, um, it was actually a group of companies that came together. This woman came up to me and said, hey, Tamara, I wanna know what you think. I'm at a law firm. We just designated a committee of people to be innovators because as an innovation committee, because we know we need to change, right? The way we're doing things isn't working anymore. And so their job is to go kind of assess the company where there's opportunities to innovate and then report back to us so that we can change what we're doing. What do you think about that? And I asked her, well, before I answer that, what do you think about that? And Jen, you could see her body language visibly changed. She, she slumped over and this is a very senior woman at this firm. And she said, actually, it makes me feel pretty miserable. It's basically telling me that I don't have any ideas, even though I'm the one doing the work. She said, it's really demoralizing. I've actually been really frustrated going to work because I feel like, well, why should I wait for them? What about me? I have ideas too. So when we kind of lock innovation down to a couple people and not open it up to the rest of us, we're not just kind of not tapping all the power that we have, but we're also, there's a side impact of demoralizing people without even meaning to do it. Right. And you're demoralizing the people that actually might share those nuggets that are so Who valuable about to it what all you're the trying time. to do. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. You can probably like think of, I'm sure you can do it better than I can. So many companies that you just didn't think about maybe ask one question that if you just asked it to a different person outside of that room, how you would have had a drastically right. different result. So I will tell you, it, and maybe I should wait for fails on this or I'll just talk about it again. But <laughs> here's the thing. I, I used to be a, an innovation consultant where I would give new product ideas and new service ideas. So they would hire us for lots of money and we'd go away and do magical research and think differently. And then we'd come back with these beautiful PowerPoint presentations with these brilliant, often very brilliant ideas. And I'm not saying that because my team created them. It wasn't me, it was the work, but they never went anywhere. And then one day I did a workshop where really all I did was facilitate. I, I didn't come up with the ideas. I, I created the foundation and the exercises and the flow and poked and prodded where needed, but I didn't come up with anything. The team sitting in that room who are thinking about the work came up with all the ideas and they were brilliant and innovative and breakthrough. And even better, they actually got implemented because they were there. They were just either hidden or they were shoved aside or they just weren't given the permission or the opportunity to bring up those ideas. So I love it when that happens because people come up to me after like, that was the best session ever. And I'm going, I know, and you did all the work. Like, that's amazing. Right. But it's really because the ideas and the innovation are there, but we got to find a way to give people um, permission to innovate and the room to innovate so that they have, they have the ability to actually bring them out. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Finding and tapping into every available resource that we have instead of just limiting ourselves right. to the five or six people that might be on one designated yeah. team. I mean, I basically put myself out of business in the other side of consulting. <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> no, I, but I love that. It's such a people in, a, in an inclusive way, yeah. right? That this even sounds like a way that you talked about the demoralizing aspect. The more that we can invite people to the table, the more that we can build engagement, the more that we can right. improve turnover. You know, it's not just innovation that has that as positively impact. impacted. There are so many other areas. 
So I love, I just love like touching on how innovation can really like move us forward, help those individuals have yeah. a voice and see where that, pro like what other positive consequences can happen as a result of that. It's interesting that you talked about engagement because you're absolutely right. What we found is that companies that allow their people to innovate, give them the room to do that permission to truly do that. We'll talk more about what that is. They actually have higher engagement and much less turnover and higher productivity at the end of the day too. So all of it goes in the right direction. Um, and I think it's partially because, frankly, we as humans, we want to contribute. Like we, Absolutely. I mean, doesn't it feel really good when like something in your house breaks and you jigger it and like MacGyver the heck out of it and you find a solution? You're like, yeah, I did that. That was me. But that's because you're coming up with a creative solution. You're doing creative problem solving and critical thinking. And actually, as humans, that actually taps the reward center of our brain. So physiologically, we actually love to innovate and create. And we love doing it in everything we do. It actually makes us feel good. Oh my gosh. I wonder how, this is just an, I wonder, not a question that I expect tomorrow. To be able to <laughs> I'm sweating now. <laughs> but you know, saying that, and if it really truly taps into our reward system, I wonder how that could even be seen as something of an equal value in terms of a reward and recognition strategy. Like understanding that, you know, if you, instead of just the, the standard incentives like money, additional mm -hmm. time off that even looking at, Hey, here's your opportunity to invite or to innovate, to be creative, that that is actually something that can give them that sense of value, that sense yeah. of meaning that might mean as much to them as maybe your pay raise does. So one of the things that we found in our work is that when it comes to employees and teams contributing people. So the, the challenge that we have as leaders is we say, let's not ask everybody because we're not going to do all their ideas, right? We, we can't do everybody's. I can't be inundated with sticky notes. Like I just, this isn't going to work. So let's not, let's just ask a few people who have the bigger picture, but here's what we found. People actually don't need to be right. They need to be heard and they need to be valued. So it's actually okay to collect it all. And frankly, you never know where a great idea is going to come from. So again, I think it's a real mistake to not ask all those people because you just don't know. And oftentimes, I think the best solutions come from the places that you least expect. But also, if you then go back out and say, hey, we're not doing these ideas, we're doing these, but here's why people feel really valued and really heard. So I think we, we set this barrier up of, well, People need their ideas. And if they don't have their ideas moving forward, then they're going to be mad. So we can't do that because then we're a lot of mad people. But it's actually quite the opposite. If you create a real innovation feedback loop where you close it at the end by telling them, hey, got all submissions. Here's what we're actually going to do. No, and it's that brings to mind, too, even how we do solicit that feedback, because I've seen in my career the opposite, where people will avoid asking people for feedback because they know that they're not necessarily going to be your first line champions, yeah. right? Like they aren't going to like it. So we just won't ask them. Whereas invite them to the table, let them poke holes at what you're doing. I mean, I don't even, I can't even scratch the surface in terms of innovation knowledge, but I can say that thing, like bring them to the table. You want their view considered. So here's the funny part about that. Um, and I'm smiling because I have a whole story around that. So <laughs> Yes. And here's what I've learned the hard way. So I'm the, oh my gosh, anything's possible. Let's come up with all the possibilities, right? Person. I want all the positivity in the world. And I used to get really frustrated by those other people. I just come, they, right? Right, the naysayers. Yeah, they don't get it. <laughs> they think it'll never work. I call it the they syndrome. That's what we suffer from. Those of us who are the yes and people. And in innovation, we're always taught to go for the yes and. But the reality is we need the yes butters to fill the holes because we're not seeing the whole picture. Right. But here's what I learned with the more analytical, the ones who poke holes, the ones who, you know, every time you come up with an idea, they're like, pow, 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 like bad idea. Right. right? That so, won't work. Yeah, it won't work. Um, well, they'll never go for it. Like all of it. You have to change your language when you talk to them so that you can get them into solution mode with you. So when I'm talking to those group of yes butters, and again, I value them. I need them. I can't do it alone. I, I've learned that the hard way. But when I go to them, I say, hey, Jen, um, here's my idea. What holes do you see and how would you fill it? I ask them out of the gate because what they'll do is they'll find the holes. But if I ask them to find the, the, the to figure out how to fill it, they'll do that with me too. The mistake we make is we go, well, they didn't get it. They yes butted it. As opposed to taking it to the next place and saying, how would you solve that? How right. would you fix that? And here's my... Um, as, my kids always make fun of me. They're like, you're always so tough love. Do you have to be like that all the time? But here's my tough love thing. 
the they syndrome that we suffer from just hinders innovation. As the people trying to move an idea forward, whatever it is, whether that's an internal process, a new product to market, it's our job to get those people involved. We need to take ownership of that. So it's our job to get those yes butters to, to help us figure it out. And it's also our job to not get upset when they say, this is the part I don't like because that's valuable information. And you're right, they should all be at the table. And I think even going, being able to take your ego out of it, I think yeah. is easy if you do what you had just recommended instead of saying like, yeah, oh my totally. gosh, they're gonna look poke holes, but asking them, here's my idea, can you please poke holes in it, yeah. right? That puts a completely different energy into it when you're like, yeah, yeah I want them to do that. Them let's in. do this, let's make something better than what we, what I possibly thought of. Yeah, and your, your point there is the, the important one. It's, it's about getting rid of the ego because the ego kills innovation all the time in all forms because we just get so wrapped up in like, this is my baby and don't call my baby ugly and this has to be perfect and all these things when it doesn't actually have to be any of those. Right. Well, and I found and I try to, you know, instill this in when I work with the younger generation when they might have an idea and then I might spin it. They're like, oh, I guess that is better. I'm like, no, your idea is yeah. what allowed me to think differently about this. Like it's a combination. All it is is a ripple effect, right? And that's the great thing. Like that, that's yeah. poking holes. That's new ideas. It's all it is is a continuous build, but it all does have to come with, you know, taking yourself out of the equation and looking at what are we trying to achieve? It's not just about what am right. I trying to achieve? So, you know, it's funny that you say that about the kind of the poking holes thing, because so we have this challenge where we have this primal brain, this lizard brain. And I like to think of it as a bodyguard. And that bodyguard's job in our mind is to keep us safe and comfortable and warm. And it's trying to block out anything that doesn't match our view or bumps up, bumps up against our identity. So when we go to people with new ideas and we're like, hey, we're going to change everything. We're doing breakthrough. We're like, forget everything you've done to make this company successful. We're going to go in a whole different direction. We're bumping up that bodyguard in their brain that's saying, oh, I don't like this. So I think oftentimes when we feel resistance to change or new ideas, it's because we haven't figured out a way to get through the bodyguard to say, oh, okay, um, that person is resistant because that primal brain of theirs is trying to keep them safe and comfortable. It is right. primitive. We cannot get rid of that part. And it has nothing to part. do with you. No. <laughs> and if we do things though and say like, hey, what you said made me think about this and take it in this direction. Hey, the results you got in this made me take it over here. Or like you said, hey, I'm just springboarding off of what you said. We push the bodyguard aside. So it's funny that kind of as we're talking about all this, it's making me realize, um, and I talk a lot about this in my books and in my keynotes, innovation has its own language and we have to figure out how to communicate with people in a way that gets buy-in for our idea. So, you know, when we're talking about the naysayers and we're talking about legacy people and the loser brain, it really is all about how do you use your language in a way that doesn't shut people down, but makes them open to the conversation? Because that's really what you need to get momentum, to get action on innovation. And oftentimes what I see in companies when I go in is just a bunch of primal brains just battling each other and trying to stay comfortable and safe and whatever it is they're doing. Because I don't know about you, but in fact, this happened to me this morning because I'm guilty of it too. Laura, who works for me, uh, my business manager, called me and said, hey, I have an idea, da, 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 da. And I automatically was like, oh, mm, I don't know. Because what I heard was, I'm going to change how you have to do things and give you more work. <laughs> that's not what she was saying. Her idea was actually brilliant, but I, that's what I heard. And I had to take a second push my bodyguard, aside, my bodyguard aside and go, oh, oh, wait, let's talk about this for a minute. But my initial reaction was abort, abort, no, yes. more work. <laughs> yes, I, you know, and it's so funny that people really do not talk about our primitive state, the yeah. psychological need for to be seen and heard, to feel safe. It's almost like we talk about leadership, innovation, yeah. communication in a vacuum, and we forget that you're dealing with a complex human being that has natural ways that their brain is going to process that is so far beyond what we can even comprehend. It's so much more advanced. Yeah. And to think that we, you know, you have to recognize that, like why we don't. And I think there is more of a movement. People are working to be more mindful and to recognize that. But at the end of the day, like you have to make people feel seen and heard if you want anything to be yes. successful. That's exactly right. And that goes to your comment earlier about getting the ego out of it too. And that, Jen, is why when we developed our business and the assessment that tells people how they innovate, we dove not into the high level case studies culture of it. We dove into neuroscience and brain mechanics and behavioral psychology and change behavior. We wanted to understand how we as humans 
innovate and how we get over those hurdles, how we, how we create launch street, create tools to help people get over those hurdles so they can leverage that strength that they already have inside of them. Um, and I, I think we do ourselves a huge disservice when we focus on this big picture, like this is how Google innovates. So this is how all of us have to innovate, like good for Google. Don't get me wrong. Like they've changed the game, but that's one company doing one way. And that doesn't tell me as an individual, well, that's great that they have this culture of shared bikes. How, how do I implement innovation with their shared bikes? Right. Right. So, and they're great at all levels. So they're a wonderful case study, but we have to figure out how to get humans to innovate. And that's actually the more sustainable and more scalable approach to innovation. It's not the culture and it's not the process. Those things will naturally come out if you start with the people. Hi everyone, it's Jen Dewell and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do you lose staff due to burnout? Do your leaders have the skills they need to deal with the stress of working in a fast-paced, ever-changing environment? With Crestcom's Leadership Development Program, your team can see measurable results that are proven to change behavior. See why our program has reached over 1 million individuals around the world and counting. Unlock your team's true potential and give them the tools and skills they need to manage the challenges of tomorrow. Contact us at Crestcom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. I always start with the people. Yeah. It's a foundational like, thing. Yeah. And I love it. You touched on the IQE assessment, which I, or, which I want to get more into, but I really want to get into what we were talking, like what we had oh. kind of planned to talk about, but I love our conversation. <laughs> we did plan something, didn't we? No, I that's right. That's, where did we go to that? Okay. We're trying to get back here. No, but because I think that this is such an important yeah. um, topic to bring for, forward to all of our listeners, talking about the four traps of certainty that are essentially... I think you had said like the barriers to innovation. And I want to dive into that because I know that our listeners will find a lot of value. So Tamara, you have talked about the four traps of certainty. What are those? Yeah. What's, what's the first one? What is the first trap of certainty that people fall into? So we've hinted at it. And I think the beginning of our conversation too, the first trap is it, that innovation is for certain people. So that's usually, you know, Miranda with a cool streak in her hair and the funky glasses who goes to all the cool cafes. She's or, so creative. She's so creative. Like, not me, <laughs> but she is. So, um, or it's, you know, the person with the awesome title, like VP of brand new ideas or head of enthusiasm, which I ran across that title the other day. I still don't know what it means, but. I wonder if I could have that title. I'm pretty enthusiastic. <laughs> I think some of have that naturally. But we equate innovation with, you know, these people who were bestowed with these magical powers from the beginning. And that is, that's a total myth. It's actually not the reality. And as we talked about in the beginning, it actually hinders innovation across your organization in a lot of ways. First of all, you're only tapping a certain amount of people. And second, you're actually demoralizing everybody else by telling, specifically telling them or accidentally that they're not innovative and then they're not the ones that contribute. So, you know, it's a, major myth that you're born with a certain way that it's only for certain people it's actually for all of us and if we just looked into our day-to-day -day lives we'd see moments of innovation across our lives but then we get to work and we're not the innovative ones and i'll tell you a quick story on it um and this happened to me years ago so i was working in brand strategy and innovation in new york and i was fairly new to the company i was six months in so i was at that phase where i was still super excited and just oh, wanted yeah. to give it my all yeah, right absolutely so and i was working on this one team but we had an all team meeting and i had this boss who was a super petite woman i towered over her but she had a love of hierarchy she was so imposing when it came to hierarchy and i over the weekend had found this opportunity for another team i just i happened to come across it and i was so excited to bring it to the meeting on monday so we shuffle into the meeting. All the teams are there. We're kind of giving these debriefs of how things are going. And I raise my hand and I start to share this opportunity for the other team, this super innovative idea that I thought I'd found for them. And granted, it wasn't fully thought out. It was just a nugget. I was young, probably didn't know what I was talking about, but I was excited to share it. Before I could finish my sentence, my boss with her love of hierarchy stopped me and said, Tamara, this is not your job. Don't worry about being innovative. I need you to do the tasks that we agreed to. That's their job to come up with that stuff. And we, meaning the directors, will like look for the new opportunities. Oh my Shut gosh. it down. And everybody in the room was like, yep. Like nobody argued about it. It wasn't because she was different than everybody else or her perspective. And that moment, I shut down because suddenly I'm being told not to be innovative because I'm not of that pattern or that, you know, I'm not bestowed some magical power or title. 
And so I think, unfortunately, we do that even in our day-to-day meetings without realizing it. We know the people in the Coupler Fast Company are those innovative people. We're not, right? We know that, but we even do it on a day-to-day basis without realizing it. And what our work and research has really come to uncover is that everybody's innovative. It's a whole brain experience. The All the imaging that we've done on the brain proves that we all do it. And the interesting part about it is it actually intelligence and innovation have two different structures in our brain. No way. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I was so excited because I thought, oh, thank God. So people like me who are not the smartest people in the room can still be innovative. This is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So intelligence, think of it as like deep grooves, a highway, right? Super highways where innovation is more like side roads, loosely connected across your brain. But when they show people across all different types and styles, everybody has those structures. So we all innovate. It's actually really common. We just have this myth that is for certain people that needs to be debunked. Yeah. So one of the first places that we have to start with, I mean, at the individual level, going yeah. back is deprogramming our brain from how we've been, or excuse me, reprogramming our brain to yes. overcompensate for all of the times that yeah. we've been told or put in the corner or saying, you know, don't be too creative or you're, you know, when you're doing this, you're, you, you're, this isn't your place right. to be. And I, I could almost see the like young tomorrow that's so bright eyed and so excited. I was so and excited. Then, yes, it's like yeah. a shriveling flower, right? Yeah. That's how everyone starts in an organization. They are this beautiful flower. Yeah. And over time, and in the case of innovation, over time, as they offer their ideas and they're completely shunned, well, that flower closes and you're yes. no longer going to see its beauty. And you're going to continue to see weeds or the yeah. same ideas over and over. But it's all ego. Check your yeah. ego at the door. There's so much ego. Mm-hmm. And there's just this mistake that it's this magical thing that some people are born with and some aren't. And the truth is we all have it. And, and what we've also seen is, so well, the brain isn't technically a muscle. It acts like one in this case. So the more... The more activity, innovative activity we give it, the more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. So some of us might feel, might be thinking, okay, tomorrow, that's great, but I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel innovative. I'm not doing it on a daily basis. And you might be right, but it's because those muscles, the that part of your brain is just weak. That's it. So you just got to exercise it a little bit and then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's what we see over time with our clients is that the ones where we go in and the team is feeling really just oh, stuck in the old way is once they start activating it over and over again, it becomes strong and then it becomes second nature. It's just practice. It's practice, which leads to myth number two, certainty number two, which is that it's for certain times. And I like to think of it as, and I'm sure you've experienced this, it's that 3 p.m. brainstorm with the scented markers and the blank easel pads. (laughs) Everyone come in, come on in, it's 3 o'clock. And this is the one moment you're supposed to be innovative (laughs) and breakthrough. And the poor person who's leading the meeting, who's not a facilitator, it's probably a team leader, it warms you up with some ridiculous exercise. And I've done this, so I'm not judging anyone else. Like, okay, well, if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Or if you could be any, you know, animal in the jungle, who would it be? And you're like, and then suddenly you're supposed to go to these blank easel pads and fill it with this amazing genius of innovation. But it doesn't happen because we've had our head down all day. And then suddenly at 3 p.m., we're expecting this magic to happen when those muscles had been dormant for so long. So we got to get out of this idea that innovation is a point in time exercise and make it a part of everything that we do. The best innovation happens every day when we're doing the work, when we're thinking about all the things. So we got to get out of that, that mentality that, hey, it needs the scented markers. Which, by the way, I love them. Watermelon's my favorite. Oh, my gosh. I do, too. I don't do any workshop without them. They're my favorite. But that's not the only time innovation happens at all, actually. Well, and to think that even if you think about how dynamic the brain is in general, I love that you touched on how dormant it is. But the fact that our brain is different on any given day based on what we were focused on, what our experience was. So to expect that someone's going to be able to come forward to you at three o'clock every Thursday out of nowhere when they could have a lovely idea at 8 right. a.m. on a Monday <laughs> that you're completely missing right. on because you're not giving the opportunity right. to, I guess, what would that be on, on demand innovation, like almost Ooh, or just in like time that. innovation. Yeah. Here's a book idea for you. Right. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta book to write. <laughs> well, that's exactly, um, I'm leaping ahead a little bit. We'll get into it about the leadership tools. We have this innovation feedback loop. Um, that's all about that. Like gather them when people are thinking about them. You don't need to wait. And the 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 myth of certain times shuts down innovation because you're telling people not in those other times and only now. And then everybody's frustrated because you get together during those times and it doesn't work. I mean, how many times have you left those sessions going, well, we didn't get what we needed. 
Like that didn't. Well, and people are just asking the wrong, like they're, we're completely off topic. We're in a completely different yeah. experience. And I feel like there has to be a little bit of stage fright that comes in because totally. no pressure. You've got to dump everything that makes you magical, bright, shiny right. in an hour, worth it in an hour at three o'clock. And if you don't do it now, you're going to have to wait. And you might self doubt might kick in by that point oh, in time sure. where you hear something else. And so it might be completely gone and a beautiful idea is lost. I think oftentimes, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think a couple things happen. I think, first of all, um, most of us don't make room for the introverts in the room. So if you're like me, you suck the air out of a room and talk out, you know, I think out loud. I, right. So well, we, you and I, we have an introvert <laughs> in our room right now. It's like, like, don't make eye contact Christian with her. is laughing at us, though, so we'll take it. <laughs> but, but we don't make room for them. And then they walk away feeling even more frustrated because they know that we're looking at them going, well, why aren't you adding value, Christopher? Come on. Like, why aren't you speaking? But that's not how they process. So we don't even make the room for the people who need more time or just need to maybe put it on paper first before they say it out loud. I think that's challenge number one. I think the other challenge is, is a big one is we're so busy trying to look smart. We're so afraid of looking stupid, ridiculous, like we don't know our stuff in front of our colleagues that we often say things with that frame of mind and that shuts down innovation, new ideas. Um, this is so ridiculous, but years ago, years, many years, more years than I care to count when I got into college, um, it was UC Berkeley and I was convinced I shouldn't be there. And we had this anthropology class, it was 800 people or something. And so we had these small study groups with their grad students that ran them and they would give us these assignments and we had to come in and tell us, tell them what we thought of the assignment. And I was so worried that people would figure out I shouldn't belong there because I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't good enough. All, all those kind of things came up. Right. I wanted to be smart in front of this group. This was the smart people. I needed to be smart. That when I came back and presented my, my homework, my view on this assignment, it was so off. It was embarrassing, but it was off because I was too busy trying to look smart. And had I gone with just really thinking through and saying and believing that my ideas were good, good enough in the moment, however they were, I would have at least been able to contribute to the conversation. But instead, I was trying to be smart. And we see that, like fast forward into meetings today where we get into a room and we want to be smart. Of course, we want to be smart in front of our colleagues. It's a natural inclination. But without the right space and the right tools, that shuts down innovation. And then you end up with bad ideas because they're not coming from a place of really solving the problems. My gosh. And that's just making me think of like that natural perfectionist. Yeah. Right. That wants to make everything not only attractive so they can feel like they fit in or that they are worthy of being in the company of their peers, but also then how we look at innovation as something that you can't bring a product to market until it's 100% instead of 80. And then that's when you watch someone else have an idea that's close to yours and yeah. go the other way. And it's just how often are the beautiful, amazing perfectionists, I say this to them because they need the reassurance that they're great even <laughs> though they fail because that's what we all have. But how often do they miss out on their opportunities to even be innovators because there's so much dang pressure to find the next, next big million dollar idea? Yeah. We often worry that our ideas aren't perfect. And then what we do is we shut it down. So we don't say it in the meeting. We don't pursue it because we think, well, I, I just need to figure out this next thing, right? I just need to figure out this next part of it. And then I can actually bring it to market. Um, the challenge is really twofold. One is from a business perspective, somebody's going to beat you to it. Like the, the playing field for business is even right now. It doesn't matter if you're small or big, you're all competing. So if you're going to wait until it's perfect, I guarantee you somebody else has already done it and they're going to take your market share before you even had a chance to grab it. Right. I think um, on the individual level as well, the reality is, um, so there's this chasm and innovation between the conference room and the real world. And in the conference room, we try to make things perfect. But in the real world, things are never perfect. So even if we perfect it on our PowerPoint with all the beautiful data and everything we think is perfect and all our hypotheses, once it goes into, into battle, right, it all falls apart. So to wait for it to be quote unquote perfect doesn't make any sense anyway, because you need the marketplace to tell you what's going to work. I think, I think it was Mike Tyson that said it best. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> my favorite quote ever no but it's true because that but is that's what perfectionism happens. yeah it's, it's over planning and over assessing i'm all for planning and, and being thoughtful but the marketplace and whether that marketplace by the way is testing an internal process with some of your other team members or the your customer they're the ones who will perfect it and optimize it for you not you you can't do it it's impossible can you move too fast um can you move too fast 
Yes. I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance between moving fast and being thoughtful. Um, often, sometimes I think there's people get fall into this trap of fail fast, fail forward, like all those kind of platitudes that are out there right now, which actually drive me nuts because I, I think they set us up for just speed. But there's a balance between speed and intelligence or thoughtfulness. And, and I think we need to balance the two because you can fail fast, but for what? For what purpose? What did you learn? What did you change? How did you, how did you pivot? So I think you need to be nimble, but that speed needs to come with moments of intelligence with it too. Love that. No, that was just yeah. my curiosity because I think Good that question. always is everyone kind of feels that they're, you know, they grapple with that. Like, yeah. is it more important for me to get this to market? And, you know, it is, it is finding that balance, yeah. but it's not pitching a tent until your idea is fully flushed out and then packing up and getting ready to go back home and like launch it. You have to, you know, like you need to get it out there. You can't make yeah. everything perfect. And I also think it matters how you do it. So I think there are some businesses that are really good at putting stuff to market or, or testing stuff in a way that their customers know this is round one. And customers are incredibly helpful. I think we in business, we put up this weird invisible wall between us and the customer. And we say, well, it has to be perfect before it goes out into the world. But they're actually really willing to come along the journey with us. They should be a part of the process from day one. Um, first of all, it makes us more innovative when we think about things from their perspective. And um, this is a little bit off on a tangent. We'll, we'll go back to our, <laughs> our first certainty, but... Um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day who runs events and festivals in Texas. And he was talking about bringing me in for a keynote. And he said, you know, the challenge we have is we look at everything as the bottom line, the number on the PL. So drinks is one line, ticket sales is another line, booths is another line. He said, but that's not how the customer sees it. So we shut down innovation because we're over there pretending like the customer doesn't exist. We're just looking at a PL like this is how we segment things. So this is how we're going to think about it. But that's not how their customers think about it. Their customers think about the whole experience. So to, for innovation to thrive, we've got to bring that voice in. Hi, everyone. It's Jen Dewell, and I just wanted to drop in with a quick note. Do your managers know how to build an effective team? Can they create an environment where teamwork is encouraged while setting appropriate benchmarks and delivering projects on time? Are they able to align expectations so their team works effectively toward common goals? You hired the right team. Now let us help you develop them. Crosscom offers a robust leadership development program that focuses on results. Each month, participants learn and apply key leadership skills and tools that will unite teams and drive organizational growth. We are serious about accountability. After each class, we help participants apply those leadership skills in group coaching sessions. Are you ready to take your leadership development to the next level? Contact us at crosscom.com so we can help you develop your leaders. And now back to our podcast. So we got off track on the certainties, but the, the four traps, but there's, so to go back to those, so there's certain people, which we talked about certain times. Um, and then there's also certain segments. That's the th third one. And certain segments is we think innovations for marketing and R and D and the innovation lab, right? The places where we kind of have come to expect it and know it. Um, what I found in my work that the best innovation happens from the places you least expect. So one of my favorite clients is Schneider Electric. They do big energy packages often to public works companies, municipalities. Um, and uh, one of my clients over there brought the IQE assessment and some of our work to his engineering team. And as he said it to me, he said, Tamara, this is a team of super smart people that nobody taps for innovation. It's not who we think about. And sure enough, after kind of being given permission and some tools to innovate, they came up with some incredible solutions for the rest of the company. So, you know, we think of it as like certain departments, but the reality is those, the best innovations happen in places that you least expect it. Right. Um, another one of my clients, some of the best innovation that saved the company millions of dollars came from their internal auditing team. So operational excellence team. They're not customer facing, it's not sexy, but they're the ones that are driving innovation. So we got to get out of this mindset that, you know, marketing, R&D and innovation, the cool departments get to be the innovators and bring it to the rest of the business. Well, and recognize the faults and just relying in one department because the natural fault that can happen if you go back to even an organizational structure of hiring, yeah. people hire people that are most like themselves sometimes if they don't yes. have that mindful practice. And so then all of a sudden, before you know it, you have a million people on your R&D team that all have the same yeah. attitude and they get along great but your innovation efforts start to go back a little bit. And I think companies forget about that, that there are natural 
disconnects that occur in the workplace because of how humans operate. Again, going back to like our own mind and how that impacts everything. But knowing that if you just do that, you're putting a lot of risk in your innovation efforts. Yeah, you absolutely are. And what we found is that ideas that come from birds of a feather tend to die. And there are holes in them, major holes in them, because to your point, we're all seeing it from the same perspective. We're looking at the same information from the same perspective with the same experiences behind us, right? So we're not seeing the whole picture. For innovation to thrive, we actually have to tap the power of diversity of thinking. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. That can happen by tapping different innovator styles. So you innovate in one way, I innovate in another way, and really making sure that we're leveraging that. It can happen by different tapping different departments, different types of people. And you're absolutely right. And it's interesting. We found that Different departments have different patterns of how they innovate. And that's great. But to your point, we could open up the diversity of thinking by opening up who gets to innovate and who's part of that. And, and all of that, again, I what came to mind earlier when you were talking about the certain people, if I like that, I'm going to walk away with is one of the things I always like to assume this is a little tangent is assume positive intent, right? That yeah. people are coming to you. But in the case of innovation, it's assume innovative ability, right? Yeah. Just baseline. That is an assumption that we should make on every single person that we interact with, because yeah. otherwise we may be missing out on an opportunity. Now that's not to say again, that we're going to get every, you know, that everyone is going to have a great idea, but if we don't start with that open curiosity, we're never going to be able to hear some of those ideas. I love that that positive intent. It's, it's absolutely true. And I think what we found, what we found anyway, is that if we start with that, they start to grow into that. So as leaders, if we start to assume that of our teams and give them a little bit of room to play that way, they'll actually get there. So, and it may not happen overnight, probably won't happen overnight, but they will over time. If you start to treat them that way, they'll respond with that way. Um, and, but we expect it to happen at that 3 p.m. brainstorm instead <laughs> in the marketing department with that cool person. And that's really not how it works. Come to three, uh, come to three o'clock, wearing popcorn and oh my sodas. Gosh, right? I've got the markers. I've got some Legos on the table. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have meetings <laughs> where we come together. We should. No, but we absolutely should. That's missing the other 99% of the time that we have the opportunity to innovate, right? So right. why would we, why would we do that? Um, and it's just, you're not there. And going back to the, the segments piece, I think of this because it's a more, it's just as the example that tops my mind in terms of a recent example of a celebrity, but Kim Kardashian, she started her new shapewear line and she wanted to call that kimono as a play off of her own name. Yeah. Well, had she actually brought someone to the table, she would have recognized that kimono was actually offensive. Right. To, you know, and right. if she, she has, yeah, she didn't ask. She didn't have the right people in the room, but she had all of her fans. So that goes back down to the like-minded people. Right. She had all the fans all the that yes were Anders. like, yeah, we love this. Oh my gosh, do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, right before it came down to her launch. So a lot of money is invested on, I'm sure, on her product packaging, everything that they needed for marketing. And then they had to change their name to Skimware. You know, all of it could have been resolved by having that diversity at the table. I think it's such a good point. And I think that if you look at, particularly in marketing, because they're the ones we all kind of know, right? We see them on TV or on YouTube or whatever. If we look at the fails, it's exactly that. So I'm just going to pick on Peloton for a second because they have one right now happening. And I like Peloton. I, this is not about, this is about this one specific ad, but it's been fascinating to see. There's been this huge backlash against it. The newest ad. Yeah. Yes. So, I <laughs> so I watched it again to try to understand, like, why are people so outraged by this ad? And I think it's exactly what you just said. It's a very specific sliver point of view that didn't think through how that might be interpreted to a bigger audience because it, I would suspect did not have the diversity of thinking at the table or didn't have a, a tool to allow them to kind of expand their thinking a little bit. Right. Um, and we'll see how it all plays out. It's like not my commentary about the ad, but it is all over the social media right now. Oh my gosh. And there are so many just different like memes and gifts all about that. Yeah. Ad. And I mean, there's a point where, Hey, publicity is great, but then there's a point where well, it's, not it's all tipped over. I'm not sure it's good anymore. It's tipped over. But those, and you look at with Pepsi with their ad, I mean, it, it is marketing is the easy example because we see it, all of us see it. But when you look at those examples, it makes you realize, yeah, maybe I'll tell you years and years ago, I was working for a large soda company and I'll never forget being in the room with them. We we're coming up with campaigns for one of their big sodas. And it was a, I'm 47 now. I was 20 when this happened. So I called them old at the time. Now I realize they really weren't old, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but it was a bunch of 50 year old boomers coming up with ads for um, the up and coming, I think it was Gen Y at the time, because I'm a Gen Xer. So 
but the young audience, right? And it, you kept hearing them say things like, will they like, will they? And I just remember sitting in that room thinking, huh, oh my gosh, none of you are the target market and you're all making this decision based on like this one, your experience and your perspective, there was no diversity of thinking in the room at all. And I think oftentimes that's where the failures happen is because we, we didn't see the whole, we didn't invite the whole picture to have a voice at the table. And how often does that happen in organizations all where the, the people that are in the boardroom or in their upper management levels are making decisions for the people they're trying to serve and they yeah. have no idea who that person is. Yeah. And then it's just, you know, you're, it's just kind of like raining money then. I wish I could be on the receiving end <laughs> and, catch, and catch all the wasted money, but you are wasting a lot of valuable yeah. resources that could be leveraged in so many different ways if you just had the right people in the room. Yeah. And it's, and it's about, to your point, it's about diversity of thinking. So teams that have diversity of thinking have stronger solutions. They have more productivity. There's a lot that happens when you have that. And studies have actually shown that. And that diversity of thinking goes beyond what is also important, which is kind of the ones we see at the surface, which is kind of race, gender, age, kind of all of those, those are all extremely important, but it's also making sure that you're tapping into cognitive diversity as well. We all have different thinking patterns. In fact, interestingly, the brain is like the thumb, no different, every brain is unique. So none of us are wired in exactly the same way. So we've got to find ways to tap each other and that diversity um, in our brains, because that's going to get us that at the table. And sometimes we stop at the surface and we don't dig deeper to find it. So you may have it in your organization and just not be using it. Right. Because they don't have the title. Right. All right. You know, it's right. remembering. And you know, the thing that I always think is so interesting about the title perspective is that we forget that there is so much value in the people that do not have the pre-existing so experience much. and judgments already made. Like right. ask them, even if you're like, okay, well, that may have some validity, may not have some validity because you do have the experience to evaluate it. But those people are going to see things that you have long, like blinded yourself from being able to see. Well, and I find that, you know, as my company grows, I feel more and more removed. So I need those people who are doing it day to day, who are, they're the ones connecting with the customers. They're the ones who, who are fielding the challenges and see the opportunities. I need my frontline staff to give me their innovation. And it's my job to tap that and get that out of them. But they're, they have incredible ideas for me and I've got to make sure my responsibility is to get it out of them. But why wouldn't I, they, I'm removed at this point, right? I'm working, I'm playing over here. They're the ones doing the day to day. So of course they have all the brilliance and they have zero titles, <laughs> relatively speaking, but that's even better. And if you look at some of great innovations that have happened over time, they're from frontline staff. So I once saw Kat Cole, hopefully I got her name right. The, she was the president of Cinnabon. I think she's moved up since, but she was telling a story about how Cinnabon, you know, the delicious, oh, yes. like I can smell now it. I want it. As we're now, talking about it. Actually coming back from Thanksgiving, I did happen to pass a Cinnabon. Mm, and we all know the smell, right? Yes, it was in the gas station that we stopped it's the at. the smell of malls. Smell, oh my gosh. Like every mall smells like Cinnabon. Yeah, so that so frosting good. so good. So, okay, I'm back. Um, so, uh, so sh their sales were flat. The, the, the way we go to malls has changed in America. The way we engage in the food court has changed. Like, it's all changed. And they hadn't. So she went, she's very smart. She went to different malls across America to understand what was happening. And she goes to a mall in the middle of America somewhere. And some part-time cashier says to her, I think the problem is they're not portable. Nobody stops to eat anymore. We need to put them into sticks. And sure enough, that created sticks, which I think was something, I think she said something like 30% on their bottom line. Wow. But that was that person at the bottom of the organization on the front lines who sees it and experiences it every single day. So one of the things that we work really strongly with our clients on is creating a really solid innovation feedback loop that taps all those people and gets them to input those ideas. And then to loop it to our earlier part of the conversation, makes them feel value and heard on the back end, regardless of what you choose to do, because not every idea can move forward. Like that's, right. that's ridiculous to think that, but your best ideas can come from there. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm loving I this. So let's go, let's, we'll close yeah. it up with the fourth. Let's wrap certainty. up the fourth one. Yeah. Cause I wouldn't want to leave people hanging. That would be horrible <laughs> since we've covered like a million things. I don't know what time it is. Hopefully we're on track. Um, so the fourth, fourth one is certain processes. So I see this all the time. Um, companies invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in the latest and greatest technology, software, collaboration process. The thing that they think is going to change the game for them because, you know, other people do it with success. This is our golden ticket. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then I get the call. I don't get it. We implemented this new process, but it just doesn't seem to be working. So 
the reality is, and it goes back to everything we've been talking about, it's people first. When you start with people, innovation scales and is sustainable and they will engage in those processes. We often get clients who call us and say, invest all this money. It's not working. Now my job's on the line. My, my, um, my reputation is on the line. What do I do? So we come into these programs to get their people to be more innovative and then they can get to the processes that work for them. But we expect that all the time, don't we? I'll tell you, I heard on the podcast this incredible collaboration app software that I thought this solves my problems, my company. I totally, I fell into this trap, hands down. So I, I researched it. I invested in it. I spent the time to set my company up because, you know, like every, every team, we all, we're off in our silos doing our things. It happens to all of us. I presented it to the team. We're all super excited about it. I think we used it for 48 hours and then nothing else ever happened <laughs> ever again. And I wasted time and money and I created initiative fatigue. Cause once again, here I am with this, another initiative, another initiative. And the team's like, we don't need any more processes to follow. But the reality is, is because we hadn't done the work to back up and say, what do we need to be and do? And how do we need to collaborate? We should have done that first. Instead, I was like, Oh, shiny thing. I'm going to invest in that. And it's going to work. Cause it's all the buzz. But it never works. I cannot tell you the number of times I get phone calls from leaders saying, I don't know what to do. I've invested in this process for the team and it's still not, it's just not working. And it's because we need to back up and get the people to be innovative. Right. Well, and you bring up, I think, something that is a problem at many organizations that causes so many issues like innovation, engagement, yeah. but that is shiny object syndrome. Totally. It's, you can kill innovation by just wanting people to follow the next big thing. Oh. Yeah, you, you talked about it as being the fatigue that yeah. happens. And all the time when we're doing that, how do you even then focus on what's important to innovate yeah. when you're just like, we're always innovating, I guess. Uh, I don't even know what we're innovating, but we're innovating. <laughs> but we're always and, doing and it. And that's just called taking action without <laughs> actually measuring a result, right? Totally. Like, I mean, that's not innovating just because you're taking action. So know when it's appropriate to innovate and know the difference between innovation and just like yeah. taking action. Yeah. And I think initiative fatigue is real for people. We are doing more with less. I think after 2008, and I see this across the globe, it's not just in the U S um, you know, we've all as leaders been hesitant to overhire, overactivate. So all of us at all levels of organizations are doing more than we've ever done. It's, it is, you see it in all the productivity charts, you see it in the fatigue and the stress, um, so we've got to make sure that we're not just layering on initiative after initiative because people can't handle it. There's just too many. So, and I think that's why our work really resonates with clients is because we're not saying here's an initiative. We're saying, let me give you the foundational tool to get your people to have the right mindset and the right tools to implement that mindset on a daily basis. And then the right processes and culture are going to come out of that. You need those two, but you can't have those without the first piece. Yeah, you can't put the cart before the horse. No, and it, it is, I mean, I learned it the hard way with that collaboration tool, which I don't feel silly even admitting <laughs> that I did that. But but it's it's so easy for that shiny object and that new initiative to sound great. Um, and, and ultimately, here's what also happens. And I've, I've seen this in, when we do innovation audits, we'll do these anonymous interviews with people to get their perspective. So we don't share who they are later because right, we don't want to, make those people feel like they need to look smart or good for their boss. And what we hear is, I just wait for that initiative to be done. Like, I'm just going to sit it back and just wait because they'll just get bored of it. And then a year later, we'll have a different initiative anyway. And that happens more than we as leaders care to admit. And it's not because we're bad people or because we're flighty. It's because we're trying to find something that works. We're solving the wrong problem. Yeah. It's, and I, yeah, you see it a lot, just the shiny object syndrome. And then you have the fatigue. And yes, yeah. I have, I have absolutely been that employee where I'm like, well, we just wait a few weeks. Like this yeah. will be off their radar. So it won't matter. So I wouldn't take any action on it. Yeah. And I mean, if you it are all the time, yes. And if you're going to innovate, the thing that I think is funny, and when we do have the initiatives, if it's truly an initiative, that's of value, build in those checkpoints, build in yeah. your milestones, build in your key performance indicators. Because if you don't have those, then it's yeah. hard for me as an employee to see that we take it seriously because we're not even measuring its impact. So I, I love to call that launch and abandon. And we ah. see that time and time again, <laughs> where we get super excited about something, we launch it as leaders, and, and it could be important, it could be the right one, but then we don't continue to make it a priority. And whether that's kind of a, a point of conversation every day, tools that we give people, milestones and check-ins, um, giving people the right resources along the way, whatever it is, we don't do that. We just launch it 
and then we go and then that rocket ship crashes back down to earth because people wait it out or they don't do it or they don't get a quote unquote right because they haven't actually been given any more guidance beyond the first launch. So you would never launch a rocket and then kill the engines two seconds later. I mean, I guess when you got to outer space, but it's the same in business. You don't, we launch it and then we abandon it. Yeah. You don't expect to just coast without putting fuel in, without like right. moving the steering wheel or anything. Right. Exactly. You got to drive it still. So I think as leaders, we need to really think about which initiatives and which innovation do we really want to push forward? And then what are we really willing to do to, to continue that? Because the other thing that we, um, this is kind of more of a trap that we fall into is we think that once we launch it, that it's going to be this like single line straight up that everything's going to work. This is obviously the right solution. It it's sounds gonna like make the us- same as like assumption that we make about weight loss. Like if right. I run yeah. five times after the new year, then right. I'm totally gonna and my weight's going to be go consistently down and suddenly my skin's going to be clear and I'm going to be healthy and it's all going to fall apart. I totally drink 64 ounces of water everything's every okay. day <laughs> before 9 a.m. And what we found in innovation and a lot of initiatives is actually a J curve. It's not a straight line up. So what happens is we launch it people are excited but then things don't work out as planned we have to do double work while we figure out the new solution and the kinks in it so we still have to do the old work the naysayers come out in droves right so we we have to prep people for the j-curve and as leaders that means we need to invest we cannot launch and then walk away and expect them to make it through the j-curve of innovation i love that that's a great way to wrap up our podcast just thinking that you know, you have to really measure your results. You've got to invest your time and attention and follow through. It can't just be this wishful thinking, like I created it. Now it's going to be like, okay to launch. I mean, if you think about children, we don't birth them as a child and then expect them to be able to take care and maintain themselves. Like, why would we think the same would be true for a product? And at every stage is different. I'm hitting teenage life now with my kids and it's different than toddler stage. Right. It takes different investment and different requirements. Yes. <laughs> Innovation is the same way. <laughs> well, tomorrow, thank you so much for sharing the insights that you yeah. did today. For those of you that were listening, I'm going to give you additional information about how you can reach out to tomorrow and how you can try and find out your own level of innovation by doing the IQE assessment. So stay tuned after uh, we wrap and you're going to hear directions for how you can access that free IQE assessment. Tomorrow, I loved our conversation, but I have to ask you the one final question yeah. that we ask everyone, which is what is your leadership habit for success? Yeah. So I created a um, a growth club, which has probably been the best thing I've ever done. And what that means is my team and I pick a book, a podcast, a web series, doesn't matter. That's why we call growth and not book club every six weeks. And we all read it or we all watch it. And then we come together and we discuss and we share our notes and we talk about what we learned. And more importantly, I think we then talk about what do we want to implement based on what we learned? How does that change how we're going to do something? How does that improve how we're going to do something? And it's so basic, but I think we get so myopic in our work and our lives. It's so easy just to have our head downs and our one little industries and our one little jobs. And our books are everything from, um, right now we're reading Atomic Habits. So how to change. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So yes. good. Highly recommend how to change that. Before that, we did a Brendan Bouchard online of course. So he's a big kind of online entrepreneur. So not in my field, but fascinating to see how he's grown his business. So we pick something. And the other thing I'd say is I'm not the one that picks it. My team picks it. So they're responsible for coming to the table with new growth opportunities for us. And I think that kind of has helped twofold as a leader. One is um, they have different perspectives that I don't have. So that enriches my abilities and my skills. Um, and they get to contribute at a way that contributes to the whole organization. So I would encourage everyone to have a growth club that goes beyond kind of your traditional book club. It has been just wonderful for us. I love that. And I like that it's a growth club and that it is something that give everyone the opportunity to share a different perspective so we can learn from it because every person is our teacher and our student. Absolutely. And I think it's key. Our last time at the end of it is how do we implement or what are we going to change? Like, how is that impacting us now that we know this knowledge? Because I think it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually do it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. That's That's right. (laughs) Well, Tara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I loved our conversation and I cannot wait to do this again in the future. Oh, we'll be doing this again. We have more (laughs) notes that we didn't cover. (laughs) Yes, we do. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast with Tamara Gandor. If you want to learn more about how you can become a better innovator, hop on over to 
go-to-launchstreet.com or look for the address in the show notes. There, you can book tomorrow to speak for your organization and find additional resources on how to move innovation efforts forward. Also, you can take the free assessment so you can find out how you innovate. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast streaming service.